0: Well good morning. Would turn your Bible to John chapter six. Thank you, Matt, for filling in. We have remarkable pinch hitters at Lakeview. Thank you, Band Ensemble and Heather, for leading us in worship this morning, preparing us for the worship of the preaching of the Word of God. One brief announcement, there will be an opportunity to pray for Women's Hope this week here at the church from 8 to 9 every morning, I think at N109 or it N109, N109, N110. And so N110, and the reason we're praying for Women's Hope is that there's never been a more important time for this ministry. Not only are they ministering to women who have crisis pregnancies, they have begun an adoption ministry. They're saying now that Roe versus Wade has been reversed, there will be 33% more image bearers who come into the world. That's a good thing, isn't it? Amen? Yeah. I don't know how they estimate that, but that's what they're saying, which means more babies will be available for adoption. We need to be praying about these things. And so in 110, eight o'clock every morning, eight to nine this week, come and pray for Women's Hope. Also, they have a gala on August the 18th. They're raising money. They need money. And so we need to be praying for them. Also, there have been there have been um, potential attacks, threats uh, that have been directed to Women's Hope as as well as other crisis pregnancies uh, centers in the U.S. So all of these things need to be prayed for. So that will give you an opportunity to come pray with the people of God. We're going to be looking at John 6 and verses 22 to 29 this morning to get at the heart of This passage, if you would look with me in verse 27, Jesus says, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these words. This is a word to every believer. Even believers can fall victim to the mentality that, You only approve of those who do meritorious works, and we need to be reminded that the work has been done in Jesus Christ. Indeed, we are saved by works, the works of the Son of God. May this passage strengthen our faith in him this morning. Father, for those who have not trusted in Jesus, pray today you would use this passage to bring the gospel to bear on their hearts. And may they submit their lives, bend the knee, to King Jesus today. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. In 1914, Hollywood was not yet the center of the film industry in the United States, but there was a movie being filmed And Charlie Chaplin was the star in this film that would change everything for Hollywood. The name of the movie was Tilly's Punctured Romance. After this film, Chaplin helps put Hollywood and Los Angeles on the map. People began to stream to Los Angeles and Hollywood because they saw it as the place of opportunity where you could have your dreams fulfilled. Well, the locals didn't love this influx of people. Uh, they wanted to get away from it all. So a real estate development firm called the Schultz Company was commissioned to develop a, a, a neighborhood in the Hollywood Hills called Hollywood Land. And this neighborhood was to serve the locals, the the wealthy locals who wanted to get away from all the people who were streaming uh, to Los Angeles and Hollywood. But this development uh, group needed the right publicity. And they decided that a neighborhood in the Hollywood Hills should advertise... From the hills and so they developed a sign a real big sign that they would perch in those hills a sign that was big enough for drivers to see from the road the sign would be white letters forty-five feet tall letters in fact they would add lights to this sign later And they dedicated that sign 99 years ago this month, July of 1923. It's called the Hollywood sign. And it was a sign designed to point to that neighborhood that they were building. Well, when they dedicated that sign, they unwittingly created an iconic landmark In Los Angeles. If you've been to Los Angeles, you've likely seen the Hollywood sign. A sign that was created for one purpose, to point beyond itself to a neighborhood. Well, interestingly enough, 99 years later, here we are and virtually no one knows the original purpose of that that sign. We think the sign is the point. And so there are many who go to Los Angeles today just to see the sign. They have lost sight of the intentional or the original intention of that sign. Well, that might be discouraging to a company like Schultz Company that people have lost sight of the purpose of the sign. But it's not a tragedy, is it? But think about missing the purpose of the sign miracles. Uh, At this point in John 6, Jesus has committed or he has performed five sign miracles. The first one was the turning of the water into wine. Then he healed the official son and then he healed the paralytic at the pool of Bethsaida. And in John 6 he's performed two signs. He's fed the multitude with fishes and loaves, and most immediately, most recently, he has walked on water. These were what John calls sign miracles. But these sign miracles were never intended to be the point. They were intended to point beyond themselves. Yes, to the compassion of God. These sign miracles reflected the compassion of God. Because when Jesus acted, he was acting as the Son of God, demonstrating the compassion of God. But ultimately, these signs were intended to point to what he would accomplish when he would crush the serpent's head and bring about a new creation, making all things new. But just like in Los Angeles today with the Hollywood sign, the crowds had missed the point of the sign, which meant they had misinterpreted who Jesus is. And that brings us to the first part of this passage, starting in verse 22, seeking Jesus for the wrong reasons, for the loaves. Seeking Jesus for the wrong reasons for the loaves. And, of course, we'll see that loaves is a metaphor for just material things. Look with me in verse 22. On the next day, of course, that's the next day after he walked on water to minister to the disciples in the midst of that horrific storm on the Sea of Galilee, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea Saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place, and where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So, this is the first time I want you to note in verse 23 that Jesus is called the Lord in the Gospel of John. We know he's the Lord, but this is the first time that he's called the Lord in the Gospel of John. And it comes off the heels of those two great signs where he feeds the multitudes with just a few fishes and loaves, and then he walks on water. Of course, we saw last time in verse 20, he had made that great confession when he said, it is I, do not be afraid. And we know in the original language, it's ego me, Which you could literally translate, I am that I am. Which is hearkening back to Exodus 3 at the burning bush. When Moses asked God his name, and he said, I am that I am. So Jesus is connecting himself to the, to the God of the burning bush. And here we see John referring to him as Lord. Maybe. We weren't ready for that until we saw at least five sign miracles. Well, notice in verse 24. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, notice this, seeking Jesus. So the next day, the day after he walked on water, it begins with a mystery, How did Jesus get to Capernaum? The the crowds had been fed by Jesus. And then they they knew uh, the disciples had gotten on a boat. And they knew that the disciples had disappeared in the storm. And they knew that Jesus had gone to a mountain. But Jesus had clearly not taken a boat to the other side, to Capernaum. And he certainly couldn't have walked around the Sea of Galilee. And so they are confused. Well, notice in verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Literally, I mean, you could could say they are asking him, how did you get across the water? Well, this is one of those times that in my mischievous, you know, flesh, I wish Jesus had been a le- little less humble and said, I walked. <laughs> but that's not how he responded to these, these followers, these seekers. Verse 26, Jesus answered them, I mean, I mean, truly, truly, when he says that, He's about to say something very important. I say to you, you are seeking me. So there's a kind of person that literally is seeking Jesus. I mean, it's already told us in verse 24 they're seeking Jesus. You are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill. Of the loaves. It's likely that many of the people had already gone home. But these others, apparently the the really committed, stayed behind because the text tells us they were seeking Jesus. If you or I had been Jesus, it's likely we would have been flattered. These people are exerting themselves because they are seeking Jesus. After all, Jesus was missing. And so, they don't stop looking for him until they find him. To me, that is commendable. And many churches at this point would have been ready to baptize them all. And in a short time... Had them in a leadership of some form, teaching a Sunday school or or being a deacon of some form. But that was not how Jesus responded to these people who were, the text says, seeking him. Remember, Jesus knows our hearts. John has emphasized that throughout his gospel. Let's go back all the way to chapter 2. In one of those remarkable passages in chapter 2 where it says, Many believed in his name when they saw the signs. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them. And we saw that that word entrust is the same word for believe. Just the English writer translates, or the English uh, translation committee translates it different just for uh, interpretation's sake. His part did not entrust him to him because he knew all people. So, in other words, they were believing in him, but he was not believing in them. Jesus does not answer their question, but he does address their motivation for seeking him. In other words... You saw the signs. You didn't recognize them as signs. That's why he says you you didn't see the signs. You, You were fixated on the bread. You saw the signs and you enjoyed the benefit. And so you've been seeking me to make me your king because fundamentally you are enslaved to the God of self and you see me as the king to do your bidding. And that's not the kind of king I am. Of course, it's, it's natural to seek to get your earthly needs met. We well, are responsible agents, aren't we? We have responsibility to make sure that our needs are met. But when someone comes to Jesus only for bread, bread here being a metaphor for material, physical things whether it's to get that job man I need to start going to church because I've got a job interview coming or to get that promotion or or to get healthy I've got a health crisis remember 9-11 we were here Heather and I were here I was an intern when 9-11 occurred in 2001 I remember Lakeview was packed the next Sunday When someone comes to Jesus just to have their physical needs met, Jesus is not oppressed. When that person comes to Jesus for that, he's coming for too little. And this person does not yet know him. How many seek Jesus for no other reason than to get some kind of temporal need or desire Met. We need to understand Jesus did not come to save our idols for us. He came to save us from our idolatry. People like this like the idea of a fishmaker king or a breadmaker king. They've seen him multiply the fishes and the bread, but they don't seek Jesus. For his own sake. They only come to him for his love tokens. They don't seek his face, they seek his hand. They don't see Jesus as beautiful, they see Jesus as useful. And Jesus is not impressed with that motive. And that brings us to the second part of this verse or passage. We've seen them seeking Jesus for the wrong reason, the loaves. And now Jesus is going to teach us what seeking him for the right reason is, love, for love. Verse 27, he says, Do not work for the food that perishes. Again, food... It's literal food here, bread, but it, it's a metaphor. John intends for us to see a metaphor here. It's for being enslaved to the physical and the material world. Jesus knows, because he's the agent of creation, that all of us give our lives away to something. There is something that is ultimate in our lives that we give our lives away to we will sacrifice everything for whatever that is that is our god that is our messiah to use a modern analogy jesus is saying to him to them don't use your money to buy boardwalk and park place Now, let's clarify what Jesus is not saying. He's not saying it's wrong to work. Uh, we have politicians who want us to see work as just one option of many pursuits. It's not wrong to work. Jesus himself was a carpenter. The apostle Paul was a tent maker. But what he is saying, hear these words from John Chrysostom, the great golden mouth preacher of many centuries earlier. This does not mean not to work but not to be nailed to the things of this life. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't be nailed to the things of this life. Do you know this is so natural to us? In fact, I would say it's your default setting. It is so natural to us that an entire book of the Bible was devoted to it. The book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes was is devoted to people who are enslaved to the physical and material world. And the one who wrote it in the providence of God had everything in the material and physical world, Solomon. Uh, And he wrote it, and this is wisdom literature, because our default setting is that of a fool. And a fool sets his mind on things of the earth, not on things of heaven. In fact, the the phrase that's used in Ecclesiastes to describe that kind of life is life under the sun. Ecclesiastes, that phrase, under the sun, is found 28 times. Uh, The one who lives life under the sun is one whose affections and hopes are in the here and now. They're in the material and they're in the physical. Solomon says that's striving after the wind. He finds that phrase, or we find that phrase nine times in Ecclesiastes, striving after the wind. Can you catch wind? You can chase it, but you cannot catch wind. And living life under the sun is like striving after the wind. And Solomon says it's a life of vanity. That word vanity is found 37 times in Ecclesiastes. Solomon's conclusion, here's the man who had everything. Whatever you have, he had a thousand of Okay, and more. Here's Solomon's conclusion. To fear God and to keep his commandments. That's the whole duty of man. And that's what Jesus is saying here in so many words. Notice in the second part of verse 27. Do not work for the food that perishes. He's saying, don't be enslaved to the here and now. The here and now passes fast. The older you get, the more you realize that. But work for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. He's the mediator of every true blessing. If you you seek blessing outside of the mediation of of the Son of Man, it's a curse. He says, for on Him, God the Father has set His seal. So Jesus is saying every blessing and ultimately eternal life, abundant life, comes from the Father through me, the Son of Man. And the reason you can bank on that is that he has set his seal on me. The Father has set the seal on only one. That's why the Christian faith is the only true faith. Because there's only one Savior in whom the Father has set his seal. Now, what does this mean to set the seal? Now, if you are as old as Monty, you remember the old Robin Hood movies, right? And there's usually a scene where the king would send his henchmen to the town square to nail a wanted poster for the bandit, and then they would offer a reward. Well, how do we know that they're going to come through on the reward? Well, they would seal. They would put a wax seal on the bottom of that wanted poster with the, the, the king's signet ring. It was a seal of the royal signet ring. And what that was saying was, this promise has the seal of the king. You can, you can rest on that. If you... Capture the bandit. Turn the bandit in. You will receive the reward. This is what Jesus is saying. The Father has set his seal on the Son of Man. He's authorized. The Son of Man is the only one authorized to give the bread that your heart longs for. The only one. It's bread that comes from heaven that will endure for all eternity. Those of you who are college students and you're coming back, uh, we go out and we evangelize, and every week we meet students out on the strip there at Tumors who are seeking bread. Bread that they eat, and then hours later they hunger again. And there's only one in whom the Father has set the seal. The Lord Jesus Christ, who offers bread by which you never hunger again. Well, notice in verse 28, Then they said to him, he's got their attention. What must we do to be doing the works of God? Now, the gospel of Jesus Christ is certainly intended for humankind But it's not designed according to humankind. Need to understand that. If it was designed by humankind, their question would make sense. Their question revealed, though, that they believed you could do to earn God's favor. You could do and work and obey and receive the seal of God. That only Jesus has. There's a famous Latin phrase that explains every other religion in the world. And I'll put it on the screen for you. Do ut des. I give that you may give. You see the problem with that? Where's the love? Where's the gratitude? In the giving. The only reason I'm giving to you is to get back. That's self-serving religion. Recently, I watched a documentary on Muhammad Ali. And uh, there's this interview where, in 1976, and he he says, boxing is short-lived. So he's at the end of his career. I think he still had to fight Sphinx. But boxing is short-lived... My body is not going to be here long. He's right. I want to do all I can so that when I die, I can go to the right place. And I just sat there watching that documentary wondering how many people think that is a wise statement by Muhammad Ali. I just want to do all I can do. Because I know death's coming, and I know I want to go to the right place. And, And it appears he was consistent with that kind of thinking all the way till his death. He was buried in Cave Hill Cemetery, which is right across the street from Southern Seminary in Louisville. And on his tombstone, you can see it right there, on his tombstone at Cave Hill Cemetery are these words. Our good works are the rent we pay for heaven. Now, I had a student who was a tour guide at Cave Hill. I don't know why you'd want to be a tour guide at a cemetery, uh, but he, he was. And he said every tour, the one tomb everyone wanted to see was Muhammad Ali's tomb. So he would take them to Muhammad Ali's tomb and there they would read for their very eyes our good works are the rent we pay for heaven and he said the large majority of the tourists would applaud that beautiful statement this is actually though a, an anti-grace statement it's an anti-praise statement we we gather every Sunday, and we praise, don't we? Because our religion, it provokes that. Because it's a religion of grace, okay? We praise because we know there's nothing we've done to earn our salvation. But that works mentality is anti-praise. No one praises their landlord for high rent. And that's what Muhammad Ali is essentially saying. I have high rent. Actually, they may commend themselves for being able to pay the rent. And that is a common issue. In fact, self-commendation is why we naturally are works-oriented. And we see it over and over in the scriptures. So, for instance, in, in Luke 18, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus. And here's what he said the same language we read here in our text what shall i do to inherit eternal life after the jews at pentecost heard peter's remarkable and powerful sermon here's what they asked in acts 2 brothers what shall we do we see it with the philippian jailer in acts 16:30 sirs what must i do to be saved and we see it even with the prodigal son when he said treat me as one of your hired servants just hire me and i'll work and earn my favor back with you father treat me as one of your hired servants and their question betrays the universal condition of the human art We actually believe we can do something and avoid certain things that can attain favor with God. And the reason for this is because God has written the law on our hearts. Every human being who's ever been born has the law written on their hearts. But because we're sinners, we misapply the law. So instead of allowing the law to drive us in desperation to the Savior, that law that we sense on our hearts becomes a staircase by which we climb where we don't need a Savior instead of driving us to Christ. But here's what the Apostle Paul said about that mentality. In Romans 4, he says, Now to the one who works, that is, to the one who thinks he can curry favor with God by his remarkable obedience, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. It becomes a paycheck. When your boss comes to you on Friday, your boss does not say, I'd like to give you a gift. No, because you know you have earned that check, that money. It's due you. But before a holy and righteous God, our works are utterly Inadequate. In fact, they demean his grace. Think of it this way. I looked this up this week. I didn't know this off the cuff. The most expensive piece of jewelry in the world is called the graph pink diamond. It is 24.78 carats. It's a pink diamond with a perfect rating which gives it a price of, get this, $1.85 million per carat. $1.85 million per carat. Diamond dealer Lawrence Graff bought it in 2010 for $46 million. Now, imagine Mr. Graff comes to me and says, Brian, I want to give you my Graff pink diamond." I do not honor his grace. I I do not esteem the value of that diamond by responding, Mr. Graff, I can't just take your diamond. I got to do something for you to warrant that diamond. Here's what I'll do. I will shine your shoes for the rest of your life. Well, that, that sounds like a noble jester. But here's the problem. It demeans His grace. No one would give a costly diamond for a shine without devaluing the gift. And God does not save, God does not justify based on works any more than we would give a shine for a diamond. Notice in verse 29, Jesus responds to them. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Now, in verse 27, it says, God the Father has set the seal on the Son. Now Jesus is saying, in effect, that through the Son, you receive. The seal of God. If you want the seal of God, you have to come through the one who has been sealed by God. And there's only one, Jesus Christ. So in the law, now when we think about the law, we're thinking about obedience. Obeying, climbing the moral ladder to attain favor with God. And there are more people in the world that believe that than anything else. In the law, our perfect righteousness is required. You understand that? Perfect righteousness is required in the law. But in Jesus' gospel, perfect righteousness is granted through Jesus. So we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, so that God himself can receive the glory of God alone. The necessity of believing... In the gospel of John is so clear. Do you know that verb, believe, is found 98 times in this gospel? Now, there's only 21 chapters. 98 times in 21 chapters. In fact, the whole purpose of the book comes down to this. Chapter 20, verse 31. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. And so this belief has a specific content. The importance of believing, we're going to see this later in chapter 6, when many of the would-be disciples would abandon Jesus. These very people, most of them will abandon Jesus because they don't like what he says. You know, there's a lot of people in Southern Baptist churches who claim to love the Bible. It's because they don't know what's in it. If they knew what was in it, they wouldn't love it. We see that in John chapter 6. Later on in the passage, they're going to abandon Jesus. The very ones who were following and seeking Jesus in this passage. And Jesus is going to ask those who remain if they wanted to leave as well. And here's how Peter responds. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We'll see that same response from from, uh, Martha after Lazarus died. In the midst of her turmoil, her brother has died. In the midst of her grief, she confesses, I believe, John chapter 11, you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Given this entire gospel as a whole, Believing includes the reality, yes, he's the son of God, but that he is the lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. Chapter 1, verse 29. It's the conviction that the great shepherd laid down his life for his sheep. John chapter 10. We must believe that God the Father sent him. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish. Belief is not optional. It's not optional. The children of God are limited to those who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus. John 1:12, yet to all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right to become the children of God. Whoever hears my word, John, Jesus says in John five twenty four. whoever believes my word and And believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. On the other hand, those who refuse. Who refuse to bow the knee to King Jesus, they're condemned already. Chapter 3, verse 18. And they are under the wrath of God. Chapter 3, verse 36. Jesus is not saying there's anything meritorious about believing. In fact, when he says, this is the work of God, I believe that is literal. If you believe, it's because of the work of God in you. This is the work of God. So, believing is not meritorious. Our faith, in fact, when we stand before the Lord and see him for all that he is, will be seen to be feeble and weak faith. Even the most committed believers in this room, even the most committed Christians in church history, when they stand before God, their faith will be seen to be quite broken and flawed faith. So if our faith was regarded as a work, it could not stand the severity of divine judgment. No, our faith is not a work It is a call to cease from our works, to trust in the one who worked for us. When the father sees a broken, mourning, humble, desperate sinner casting all self-righteousness aside and in desperation clinging to his son, In faith, this is well-pleasing to him. But apart from faith is it impossible, Hebrews 11, to please the Lord. So this morning, let's not miss what the signs are pointing to. It's one thing to miss the point of the Hollywood sign. It's a whole different ballgame to miss the point of the signs that Jesus has performed so that we might flee to him. The Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came to secure forgiveness of sins for everyone who would trust. And for those of you, most of you, who already believe in Jesus, it's so that you'll believe more. Last night I was watching a baseball game and uh, they were honoring the old pitching coach and he was being put into the Hall of Fame, Leo Mazzoni for the Atlanta Braves. And uh, Jeff Francoeur said, you used to say the same thing every day to the pitchers. He said, because I wanted them to believe it more and more every day. Well, how much more? Jesus is telling us you have to believe, and you already believe, most of you. He wants you to believe more. But this is also a, a mandate to everyone here who does not believe. And I believe there are people here this morning who have not yet believed in the Son of God. So as Matt comes forward, our musicians come forward, we're going to have pastors here at the end of the aisles. We want to give you an opportunity. There's nothing meritorious about walking now. But we would love to talk to you. We'd love to pray with you and love to explain to you more what it means that Jesus came to save sinners. And all you have to do is repent of your sin and trust in him to have the forgiveness of sins. Won't you come as we stand and as we sing?